This morning, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1. I don't remember the last time I preached from Habakkuk, but, but let me ask you this. When you came to know Jesus, wasn't it just like amazing? Like when I came to know Jesus, it was like everything was just awesome, right? Like that Lego song, Everything is Awesome, it felt like that. Like I'd get into the car and my favorite song would just be on the radio. And I'd read the Bible and it was like the word of God just like, a, just like jumped off the pages and just like, just, just hit me right in the face. You know? And I'd go on social media and, and I would see it was like, man, the verse I just read, someone just posted, oh my gosh, God's speaking to me. I look up in the sky and I'd say, I look at the clouds and there'd be like the, the, the flight paths of two airplanes. I'm like, okay, it's a cross. It's a sign from God. Right? Anyone relate? You go to the domain and you're like driving and you're like, suddenly you're like, okay, Lord, just give me a parking spot, Lord, please, like, you know, and then you see a parking spot, like, right there in front of Apple, like, nobody gets a spot right there, right? It's so funny how when we first come to know Jesus, like, there's, like, just this mountaintop experience all day, every day. He's speaking to us. We feel his presence, and then at some point, there's, like, a shift. The shift happens, and we still go to church. We, We still follow Jesus. We still read the Bible, but this shift happens, and suddenly you read this. What am, what am I reading right now? This is just weird. This is, this is not all done. This is not gospel. This is not love. And, and then, you know, you, you open up social media, and it's just all negativity. Oh, wait, that's all the time. Never mind. Uh, but, but it's just like, it's one of those things. Like, you get into the car, and, and it's not your favorite song. It feels like country, even though it's not country. And it's just sad, and it's depressing. And, and you just go through all these different things, right? And you start to wonder, God, where are you? Now, if you've never gone through a season like that, I I pray you don't. But all of us, we go through these seasons called valleys. And today I want to talk about peaks and I want to talk about valleys. And we're in this series called I Have a Hope. And every time I say that, like, I just wish we had, like, this full gospel choir, right? Like, just, like, echoing, I have a hope. Like, I wish it was just kind of like that because there's something about hope in Jesus that, that there's just nothing better than that. But the reality is, is that we don't just live in a place of hope all day, every day. Sometimes guys like myself, maybe you'll see them on TV or you'll see them on social media and, and it's like everything is perfect and there's never bad days. And I think the reality is that there are. And we go through these seasons of hopelessness. We go through these seasons of just being in a valley. And so today and next Sunday, I want to talk about how do we get through the valleys? How do we get through the valleys of life? And I want to encourage you, come back next Sunday as well because we'll continue to talk through this. But how do we get through these valleys? Now, here's the reality. We love the peaks, right? We love the mountaintops. I mean, we love those kinds. I mean, I I was in REI a few months ago, and and I'm looking at these brands, and all of these brands that kind of inspire you, they're all about mountains, right? Like, we got, like, North Face, right? And just look at that photo. Like, I'm I'm inspired to go become an ice climber just looking at that, right? (laughs) We have Patagonia. I mean, you know, you see these brands. You're like, oh, man. That's just so, I just want to go, I want to go be in the mountains, you know. We have uh, Black Diamond. We have these different, these different brands that just, they inspire us to be on the mountains. Have you realized that nothing is named Valley other than Hidden Valley Ranch? <laughs> like nothing is named Valley. The only thing that they name Valleys are college football stadiums. Clemson and LSU, any fans in the house? Here before the opponent even comes into a place. And the reality is, is that we love the mountaintops, we love the peaks, but we don't love the valleys. Yet a lot of life happens in the valleys, doesn't it? 
I mean, we find ourselves in the valleys a lot more than, than we want to admit. And there's days in the valleys and there's months in the valleys. And sometimes, church, there's seasons. Sometimes there's even years and, and, and parts of decades or even decades where you just say, man, I'm in the valley. God, I didn't sign up for this. Like, I, I knew there would be tough days, but not tough years. And yet God brings us back. And I, I was reading a book a few years ago called Experiencing God. It's by a, a man named Henry Blackaby. And I'd recommend any follower of Jesus read this book. But he talks about the valley. He refers to it as a crisis of disbelief. He says, it's a season of struggling and doubting God and his goodness in our lives. And he talks about with this urgency that, that as we mature, as we grow, that we go through this crisis. And it's part of it. And sometimes we find ourselves in these valleys and the pain is so intense that we simply say, God, just get me out of it. Like, God, I, I just need you. And we cry out to God. And what happens? We don't feel like we hear anything. Right? You cry out to God and you're like, God, where are you? And you continue to cry. You continue to press into him. But I believe that this is one of the most pivotal moments in our faith. It's a moment where we can choose to lean and trust God or we can run from it. Henry Blackaby talks about the significance of this more real in the valley than it is on the mountaintop if we can recognize that it is the way through it, not out. It's not running from it. It's walking through the valley. It's walking through that. I believe this. I believe that the valleys are really something that is actually vital to our faith. That when we go through valleys, when we go through these hard things and we go through these hard times, they, 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 they prove us and they test us. And he goes on to say this in his book. He says, will God ever ask you to do something you're not able to do? He said, yes, the answer is yes all the time. Now, for many of us, we, we, we go back to this verse in 1 Corinthians 10 that talks about God will never take us through a temptation. He'll never allow us to go through a temptation we can't handle. But the reality is, is temptations aside, I think God takes us through things that we can't handle all the time. And it's to help us choose him, to help us trust in him, to help us run to him. And so we have to go and we have to trust God in the midst of these valleys. We're not supposed to do it on our own, but we're to do it with one another. We're to do it with those people around us, that we're to partner with others and go through this. I think this, I think that the valleys are one of the most significant things that God could give us, that God could trust us with when it comes to our faith. What I love about the word is that we're not alone in the valleys. If you ever read the Bible, you don't have to read very far to see there's a lot of people in the Bible that go through a lot of valleys. I mean, the Bible is just filled with person after person after person that finds himself in the place of great struggle, wanting to give up, wanting to tap out, but, but instead crying out to God. And so this morning, I want to look at this guy named Habakkuk. And I, I want to encourage you, if you're pregnant, don't consider a Habakkuk a name. Like that kid is going to get, he's going to get or she's going to get tortured and, 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 and bullied. And just like, just don't put one on the T for everybody else and just, and, and, and allow Habakkuk. It's a great name. It's a great biblical name, but it belongs in the Bible. It doesn't belong on your child, okay? So just let that be some confirmation. Habakkuk lived in this era where, where there was so much corruption, it would make the Godfather blush. Like things were so bad. Things were so intense. Things were so evil. That, that Habakkuk just kind of comes, are you in the midst of my pain? Are you my hurting in the midst of my loss, in the midst of my battle? God, where are you? Where are you? Why aren't you here? Listen to what he says to God. This is Habakkuk chapter one, verse two. He says, how long, Lord, 
must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that the justice is perverted. Can I be honest with you this morning? No, seriously, can I be honest with you? I love Habakkuk's conversation with God. I love the fact that the Bible records it. Here's here's a man. Here's a man of God that comes to God and says, God, why? God, how? How how long? And he begins to lament. He begins to vent. He begins just to share his frustration with God. Can you relate? I know I can. I know there's been seasons in my life where God, I'm just, I'm so, I, I love God, but I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with God. And that's where he is. He says, I'm in this valley. I'm hurting and I'm hopeless. And God, where are you? Why aren't you here? If that's not enough, he goes on to say this in verse 12. He says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Have you ever been there? I remember this moment. I was 23 years old, and I was here. Like, I was exactly where Habakkuk was. How many of you know that that you can put up with a lot, but when it comes, it comes out, right? Like, don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with my friends. Don't mess with my family. And my, my parents had just gone through this season of just injustice. And it was like one thing after the next, after the next. And I remember they had come into the living room. I was there and they were sharing some stuff that they were going through. And I was sitting on the couch next to my grandmother. And and I don't know what happened. Like this anger just came over me. I just sat there in silence for a long time. And they finished. I said, I need to go for a walk. And I just left. I'm walking down the street. I, I lived in Portland, Oregon at the time. And Oregon's not like Texas. Like when it rains, it's like an annoying rain. Like here, it rains. And what does it do? It rains like enough in an hour for a month, right? Like everything is bigger in Texas, including the rain, right? In Oregon, it's like this annoying little drizzle, right? It's just like, uh, it's, it's just like, it just doesn't stop. It just keeps going and going and going. But that night, it was like raining. I mean, it was, it was like a Texas-style thunderstorm. And I'm in the rain, and I'm just, I'm like, do you ever do this when you're talking under your breath? Like you're talking under your breath, and I'm walking, I'm talking to God, I'm like under my breath, and I'm just upset, and I'm angry, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going through my grandmother's neighborhood, and I'm just upset, I'm just, I'm talking to God, and the things that I'm saying to God, I regret, and I have definitely repented from, but I would never repeat from the stage. They would make you blush, they would make me blush. I was so upset with God. I'm using every word in the book, even the four-letter ones. And I'm talking to God. I'm yelling at God. I'm cussing at God. I'm lamenting and I'm venting. I'm letting God just have it. And my mom finally catches up to me. And she's like, slow down, stop. I'm like, nope. If you want to walk, if you want to talk to me, you keep walking with me. And so I just keep going. And she's walking next to me. And my mom's a prayer warrior. Normally she's like, amen, amen. She's silent. 
right? Like she's not saying anything. Like she's just, normally she's praying the house down with me. She's not saying anything. And, And I finally just get silent. She's like, no, you got some more. Let it out. Just God, it's better that you talk to God. It's better that you vent to God than you go silent in an icy silence on God. And so I just kept going. Round two, just kept going. Hour and a half, we're walking in the rain. Like, I'm soaked, I'm cold, I'm upset. But when you know you're that upset, it like nothing else matters. I was at that place. And finally, I stopped. My mom said, now it's time for you to listen to God. You voiced your complaints. You've let it all out. You said some stuff that you'll probably most likely, most definitely repent of. Now it's time that you listen. Listen for God's still small voice. And so I did. I continued to walk. I slowed down, and I began to listen. Here's what we see in Habakkuk, in the word of God itself. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. I, I think the first thing that we have to do when it comes to being in a season of of being in a valley and being hopeless, is that we learn to listen to God. We learn to listen to his still, small voice. That we put everything on pause, that we stop, that we listen. Especially when we've been venting, especially when we've been talking. So we need to listen. We need to take this step. And I, I love what this man does here. He says, I'm gonna climb up to my watchtower. In other words, he's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remove myself from everybody else. I'm gonna get alone. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna stand at my guard post. I'm gonna wait and see and listen to what the Lord says. I think that's so significant for us that we could take a page from this man, from his life, and that we'd say, God, I'm gonna position myself now to listen for your still small voice. I think one of the most challenging things in being alive in 2019 silence and to listen. We have so much noise around us. It's just this buzz all the time. There's these distractions that we're just always facing. God says, I want you to listen. I want you to listen for my still small voice. His word says, be still and know that he's God. It doesn't say be busy. It doesn't say be filled. It says be still and know that I'm God. I think that's like going to be the next tattoo I get. Just probably need it like right here and, and right here and maybe right here as well, just all over. Be still. A few years ago, I, um, I, bought, I bought a pair of headphones, and it's probably the best investment that I've ever bought. It's a pair of Bose headphones. They've broken like three times. Every time I send them back to Bose and they send me a new pair. And um, it's fun because there's always noise around me. I mean, it's like I'm at home and we have young kids and it's just, it's just noisy. And then if I'm working out of a coffee shop or I'm in a restaurant, there's just, you know, I, I, there's just noise. But, but what I like about these is there's these, these, the, this technology called noise-canceling technology. And so you put these on. And then you turn this button, and suddenly I just experience silence. Like somebody say something. What? 
What? Just kidding. I wish that we could have these just in life. Like, I wish there was, like, something where you could just, just put yourself in a place of silence, and, and there is. It's called at the feet of Jesus. God invites us to be still and to wait upon him, to listen for his still, small voice, and to listen to everything that he says to us. But it's not always possible. You think, I, I think it's a discipline. I think it's a discipline that we must make. There's a feature on your phone called Do Not Disturb. Do any of you use it? I Good, good. I use it all the time. In fact, I've turned off every notification, and, and you love to post uh, 19 likes on Instagram. Keep those pictures coming. I love seeing those pictures. But the 319 likes that you get on the photo of your baby because everybody loves babies, you don't need a notification every time someone likes your photo. Those likes will still be there when you look at your phone again, and your battery will be so much better. I think that we need to put the do not disturb on some things in our lives. I think that we need to do it more than just our phone. We need to do it in some other areas as well. I started this practice recently where I, I started getting up earlier in the morning. And my, my wife and I, we're, we're just night owls. We love to be, like we get the kids down and like that's our time to hang out and to talk and to catch up and just be together. But I've been forcing myself to try to go to bed a little bit earlier so I can get up earlier. I can have that time with Jesus very first thing. It used to be like after I got, you know, kids off to school, then I'd take that time. What would happen? There's a phone call. There's an email. I'm, I'm fighting the tension of just like all that. So I just get up before anybody. And spending that time in the word and in prayer has been so good because I'm training myself to listen to God's still small voice. Some of you need to find that time. Some of you need to find that space, that place in your home. Some of you love to run, and that's your time with Jesus. Some of you, like you'll get into the office before anybody, or you'll go to the coffee shop, or whatever you need to do, but find that time and that space to be alone and just listen. One of the best practices that I started doing a few years ago was before I'd read my Bible, I'd just take a minute or five minutes or ten minutes, and I'd just sit in silence through your word. Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to say to me as I get into your word? And just speak to me today. Train your mind to listen. Train your mind to hear the voice of God, to listen to his voice. What I love about Habakkuk, his name means this. This is so cool. His name means to wrestle, but it also means to embrace. To wrestle and to embrace. And I think that it's such a great picture for us. We, as, we, as we live out this relationship with God, there are times that we're wrestling with God. There are times we're coming to God and we're saying, God, it's not right, it's not fair, it's not just, and you're all those things. So why is this happening? Embrace God. We embrace the truth of who he is. We say, God, I don't know why, but I know I am. Let me say that again. I don't know why, but I know I am. I know I am who says I am, so I'm going to trust the I am. I'm going to embrace who you are. I'm going to embrace what you're speaking and what you want to do. I'm going to trust that even though it might not be my timeline, my answer, what I wanted, that you're God and you're greater and you got this. So we trust and we embrace my son, he's, um, he just turned four, and he's in this season right now where he loves to battle, like every day. Dad, are we going to battle today? Every day, are we going to wrestle today, right? And so I can be talking to my wife across the city on the phone, and I hear him, Dad, Dad, are we going to battle today? Dad, we're going to wrestle? 
And I don't know where he got this from because we don't allow him to watch wrestling. Like, we're not trying to, to give him any more ammunition. But every time we have to wrestle now, my four-year-old has to take off his shirt. And what does he do? He beats his chest. He's like, let's go, Dad. Let's go. Let's go. He weighs 29 pounds. Pray for him. He's got my wife's height. But when we're done wrestling, I always do something. I go, come here, buddy. I give him a hug. I say, I love you. And we can, we can wrestle and we can battle. But you always need to know I'm not your opponent. I'm your father and I love you. I think in the same way God would say to us, it's okay that we wrestle. It's okay that you get this stuff out, that you deal with this stuff, that, that you vent, that you complain, that you, you just are honest with me. But through it all, I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to tell you that I'm your father and that I love you. I'm committed to you. And as we wrestle this out, as we go through this together, I am committed to you. You see, there's this, um, there's this trend that, that I worry about sometimes. There's this trend I see in the church, and it's, it's this. I think we love to live in the peak space uh, of just being in the peak. I see it sometimes with people where it's like they're having a bad day, so they self-medicate through shopping, or they self-medicate through drinking, or they self-medicate through any number of things. But I also see it with Christians. Sometimes it's like, man, I'm going through a tough season. I just need to go to a conference. I just need to go do this, or I just need to go to that. And I love conferences. Please hear me. We're doing our, our prepare conference in January. I'm all about it. But you can't live from conference to conference. Just like you can't live from Sunday to Sunday. Now, I hope every single one of you make it a priority to be in church. And if this is not your church, find your church. But, but don't just live Sunday to Sunday. Every day be in the presence of God. Every day be in the word of God. Find that purpose and say, God, how can I serve you? How can I give my life to you today? In the church, but also outside of the church. We can't just go from peak to peak. Some Christians, some people just try to do that. It's like, they, okay, what did I, how was I, okay, I was on the mountaintop. What do I need to do? Okay, I'm going to go change into that outfit. I'm going to go listen to this song. I'm going to, like, we re try to recreate these peaks on our own. A part of life is going through the valley. Because God calls us to be in the valley with not just ourselves, but with those that need Jesus. The other thing sometimes I see people do, that when we go into a valley, in order to get out of a valley, we walk away from God. We say, God, you led me into this valley, but now that I'm here and it's hard and it's difficult and it's painful, I'm out. I'm just going to get, I'm going to find my own way out. I'm going to find an emergency exit out of this thing just so that I don't have to deal with this anymore. That's never what we want to do. And there's a third option. And the third option is this, is that we say, God, I'm going to lean into you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to position myself. I'm going to get down on my knees. I'm going to hear your voice. I'm going to don't get it. I'm going to trust you. Because here's what I know. Things grow in the valleys. Things grow in the valleys. We're going to talk about this more next week. That's just a little slice, a little teaser. But things grow in the valleys. And if we do, God, and we can say to God, God, I, I won't abandon you because I know you won't abandon me. And I'm going to hear from you. Then I know you'll get me through. The second thing that I want us to do is found in verse 2, Habakkuk 2.2. 2. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets 
so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. Second thing that I want us to do is I want us to be people that write. I want us to be people that write. How many of you know that the shortest pencil is, is better than the longest memory? It's just the truth. When you write things down, you remember them. So I'm getting a little bit older, but I don't think I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm old. But here's inevitably what happens. Every time I go to the grocery store, guess what? You know. And I love H-E-B, you know. Like I get into H-E-B and I'm like, oh, guacamole? Yeah, I'll try some guacamole. And then like the whole time I'm thinking about, okay, well, you know, what can I pair with this guacamole that's now in my cart? If I don't have a list, I'm the worst shopper there is, right? Just buying everything off the end caps because it's convenient. We need a list. We need to write things down. It's true with the grocery store, but I think it's even more true in life. It's amazing. If I don't put people's birthdays in my calendars, even those close to me, I'll easily forget it. If we don't write things down, if we don't review things, then we lose sight of things. I shared this with you, but Earlier this year, in fact, going into this year, I was with my, my cousin, and, and we were talking, and the three of us, and we were saying, okay, um, you know, what are some good practices? We're just talking about, okay, this new year, and we're kind of complaining because we all start resolutions, and then we don't, like, finish them, and I'm, like, the worst offender. Like, I'm, like, I can, I can achieve 72 things this year, right? And so I'm talking to my cousins, and one of them said, hey, I, I, I started doing this a couple years ago. I started writing down my goals. Love that. And so we all created these notes in our phones, and, and we shared them with each other. And I can see any time they update things, and they can see any time I update things. And we can each see when we cross something off the list, and it's a win. And, and it's been so good. And so every day, multiple times a day, I review this list because I want to be focused on the things that are most important. Now, this year, I started doing something to that list. I started writing down some of the promises, some of the verses, some of the things that God spoke to me. I started writing down some of the things I've been praying for. Now, here's what's fun. When, when you start praying for something, you write it down, and then God answers that prayer. And you're like, check. Like, check for God, right? Like, God, you just answer. Like, like, that's fun. That's exciting. Because what does it do? It gives you more faith. How many of you want more faith? Okay, the rest of you are just really spiritual. Because I, I, I want more faith. I want more faith from God. So when you write things down, not does it fill you with more faith, I think it gives you more discernment. It gives you more discernment. God, what are you wanting to say today? What are you wanting to say? I was talking to a, a young preacher the other day, and he just started preaching. He said, man, it's crazy because now whenever I read the Bible, it's not just, God, what are you speaking to me, but what are you speaking to everybody else? He says, I'm always writing stuff down. You go to a, a meeting. What do you do? You, you take notes if you want to listen well. You go to a conference for work, you take notes if you want to remember it. We all think this, all remember all of it, but we all know we don't. We don't, so we write things down. God instructed, it was so important, God instructed it to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, write this down. Write this down so that you can take it with you, that you can give it to the messenger and they can take it. It's important. I want to conclude with this this morning. In the 1800s, there was this famous evangelist by the name of George Mueller. He was a man of God. Took the gospel all over the place. And one day, he was in his hometown in Bristol, England, and, and he was watching these children play in, in the street, and, and he's watching them, and, and, and it's like the crowd just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And as he's watching them, he recognized these children had nothing. They were all homeless. 
they were young and they, they had nothing. They're fighting over scraps of food. And God in that moment just broke his heart and he said, George, I want you to start an orphanage. He's like, God, I'm an evangelist. I, I, I travel. I'm not, uh, I'm not someone who's going to own an orphanage. That means I have to stay here. I have to watch after these kids. And God says, I'm calling you to do this. He had nothing. He had no money. And so finally, reluctantly, he said yes to God. He said, okay, God, I'll do this because you've told me to do this. And he opened up a home, and, and he's given a, a venue, a location. I mean, God just provides it miraculously. And as he started this, he said, God, I need my faith to increase. I need my faith to grow in order to do what you've called me to do. He said, I'm going to start writing these things down. The things you're putting on my heart, the things you're calling me to pray for, I'm going to start writing down. He led that orphanage for 60 years. Do you know how many kids came to that orphanage? Over 10,000. 10,000 kids came through that orphanage in 60 years. And they had nothing. I mean, they're literally at this place where they have nothing at all. And he would just pray. He said, God, I'm going to start writing down my prayers because I need my faith to increase. And every time you, you answer that prayer, I can cross it off the list. So he would pray these prayers. One night he's laying in bed. It's after midnight. He says, God, we have no food at all in the house. We have all of these kids to feed. How are we going to feed them? And he's laying in bed. He's praying and praying and praying. The next morning he gets a knock at the door. The guy that owned the local bakery down the street decided to start baking bread for you and for these kids. So all night long, I just baked bread, and here's dozens and dozens and dozens of loaves of bread. Another day, they had nothing to feed the kids again, and he started praying. They were in the middle of a, of a heat swell, and guess what broke down in front of their building? A dairy truck. He said, hey, this is all going to go bad, and so here is... Here is cheese and milk and all these things because it's going to go bad in the truck, so just take it and put it in your refrigerator. And again, God used them to meet these needs. When it was all said and done, they compiled everything that he had. Do you know how many pages he wrote in that prayer journal? 3,000. 3,000 pages. He filled his prayer journal with 3,000 pages. Do you know how many of those prayers were answered that he prayed over 60 years? 30,000. 30,000 prayers were miraculously answered because he listened and he prayed and he wrote it down. If God could do that for George Mueller, can't he do that for you? If God can do that in those impossible situations, can't he do that for you in your impossible situation? If God can do that in his valley and in his hopelessness, can't God do that for you and your valley and your hopelessness? Church, I'm convinced that if we can just listen to the voice of God, it will bring us so much peace and it will bring us so much hopeless hope in the midst of the storms and the valleys.